I want to read uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. But before I read in 1 Samuel 16, move into the word of the Lord. Let me talk to you about Wednesday night. Wednesday night's going to be a great time at Crossroads. And you know what? It's going to be a great time if there's 10 people here or if there's 80 people here. Brother, Brother uh, Mark Harris, a, a, an evangelist with the Foreign Missions Department, and he ministers in Asia. He travels all around Asia preaching revivals. He's in the States, and he's going to be here uh, Wednesday night, and he is very talented in the area of kids' ministry, uh, gospel magic. He also uh, ministers to adults. Uh, he has the, he sees people receiving the Holy Ghost. Uh, I think he told me not this last Wednesday, the Wednesday before, they had four on a Wednesday night get the Holy Ghost. And this Wednesday night's going to be a great time. I don't know what God's in store. God's in store. I can't, you know, if I could predict God, well, that would be bad. I don't know what God's going to do. I just know that God has brought Brother Harris to us and went, you need to be here Wednesday night. You need to be in service with us. Be right here at your church and uh, just come open, opening your heart to what God has Wednesday night. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord, in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, How long are you going to mourn for Saul? I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. You go to the house of Jesse, and I'm going to anoint one of his sons king. Verse 2, Samuel said, Hey, if I go, if Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, Go and Make a sacrifice. Go to make a sacrifice and call Jesse, verse 3, to the sacrifice and see what I'm going to do. And you're going to anoint the one I name. Catch that now. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Samuel did as the Lord spoke. And then skipping down uh, to, I'm, I'm, I'm moving through this a little quicker than I planned to because of time. I, I, uh, I know that we had an extended worship. It wasn't that a great time of worship. Amen. Amen. That's all right. Yeah, let's just thank the Lord for that. And uh, verse 5, he, he said he was coming peaceably. I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. Seven sons passed before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. Samuel said unto Jesse, Are all thy children, are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not set down till he come hither. For we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him. Now he was Rudy and a 
and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for he is, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to reign. I want to preach you this morning on this subject. We will not sit down. We will not sit down. So at this time, I'll ask all the ushers, if you would you remove all the chairs? <laughs> the Lord bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> During the 1930s, workers and unionists invented what was known as the sit-down it was a powerful and revolutionary weapon to bring industrial employers to the bargaining table. It demanded of employees that they stay at their workplaces, but without working. And the movement proved effective. It was controversial, obviously. Not, not just, it, was, it was not only controversial among uh, management, but it was controversial among union leaders. One of the first successful sit-down strikes was staged in 1937 by the United Auto Workers at a GM factory in Flint, Michigan. GM finally gave in and gave the labor movement one of its most important victories. And since that day that that phrase has uh, been, uh, uh, or since that day, the phrase sitting down on the job has come into existence. Indicating that you're not carrying your weight, you're not doing your job. In the sports world, the term has been used to point out players that were not giving it their all, that were not, uh, that were not making the right play at, that, at the right time, and were not, were not in sync with the rest of their team, and they said they're sitting down on the job. In the story of 1 Samuel, we find Samuel making the statement, we will not sit down. We'll not rest. We're gonna, we gotta deal with this matter. We gotta see, we gotta see something happen here, and we're not stopping until we get this matter resolved. Now when Eliab first showed up, when Samuel arrived, when Samuel arrived, uh, 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 when Samuel arrived and, and uh, got Jesse uh, to call his sons, and Eliab first stepped forward, he passed the looker test. He was, he was everything anybody wanted in a king. As you looked at him, he was, he was it. He was, he was, he was the one. But the Lord said no. Then came Abinadab, and the Lord said no. Then came Shimon, and the Lord said no. And then came four other brothers, and the Lord said no. And David had not even been invited to the party. He didn't come close to measuring up in the eyes of Jesse. 
God, after he rejected the first seven, Samuel learned there was still another. And he said, in verse 11, chapter 16, send and fetch him. The last couple lines there. Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. I have a job to do. Neither you and I will rest until that job is finished. In the church world today, I see two pre predominant problems. There, there's, there's more than two, but uh, there, are, uh, there are two problems that are illustrated by these scriptures. The first one is too many Christians today are sitting down on the job. They are not praying. They are not involved in the work of God. They are not discipling people. They're not involved in worship. Many Christians are not even in church a lot of the time. They're not faithful with their tithes. They're not faithful with their offerings. They're not really committed to living for God. I really believe that we're headed for a time in our nation where the true Christians are going to have to stand up and say, I'm not sitting down any longer. I believe we're headed for a time in, in our country. And, and I'm not going to go into the, the political events. I'm not going to go into the current events. But uh, just, just go home and, and uh, just call up the news on the Internet. and Just uh, start looking at it. And uh, uh, turn, turn on the, uh, the television and see, and see the news channels and see what they have to say. We're headed for a crisis. We're headed for a problem. And there, we could be headed for times that you as a Christian and every Christian around better have a hold of the anchor. And that anchor is Jesus Christ. It's time to stand up and say we've got a job to do. And we can't sit down any longer. The second problem that I, I see that is, that is illustrated, there's other problems, but these are the two that, that just come out to me that are illustrated in this story, is many Christians are trying to bring their own ideas of what God needs. Jesse thought he knew what God needed. Eliab. Let's bring, or Eliab, however you want to pronounce it. Let's bring Eliab out here. He's the one. This is what God needs. Nice, tall, strong. Just the the picture perfect man put him right on the put him right on the cover page of the magazine. Everybody wants to look at him. That's what we need. Jesse thought he had that figured out. He thought he knew what God, he brought six others. He was so out of tune with God, he didn't even invite David to come to meet with Samuel. Christians today think they can bring physical beauty, 
And that's going to impress God. We may be impressed with physical beauty, but you know, go look at what God made. He's not impressed. Go look at the physical beauty all around us that God put together. He's not, he's not impressed with anything that you have to offer, any physical beauty. We think we can bring athletic ability. We think we can bring mental ability. We think we can bring wealth. We think we can bring talent, abilities to do this. We can bring skills to the table, and, and that's, that's what God needs. Somehow, though, we got to get in tune with God, and we got to realize that what we can bring is not what God needs. What the things that we think as humans and could, that God could use, and the church could use this, and this would be good for the church, and you turn, when you dig deep and you find out that that's not what God needs at all. This church is a testament to the fact that God, that, that God doesn't need what man thinks it needs. This building that God has given us and the and 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 the finances that God brought to to, to us just from normal average people. Yes, we the, the, the world and the people around us and other Christians might think, well, if you just get a couple millionaires to come in and write a couple checks, you'll be in good shape. It's not the way God did it. It's not the way God does it. You know, the first thing God did, uh, and, and, and I'll just remind you of this, the first thing God did in this uh, in, in, in the funding of the renovations of this building is God spoke to me at a general conference. He said, okay, give $3,000 to missions. And I thought, God, this really isn't you. You had God speak to you, and you said, well, that's not God. <clears throat> Let's change the subject. But kind of like, oh, it is a beautiful day out here. Huh? And in about 30 seconds, God convinced me that, yeah, it was him. The Holy said is, you know I'm speaking. I made the pledge of $3,000 and thought to myself, what's the people back home going to think when I get back home? <laughs> and tell them, you know, we just, we're, we're closing on a building and, and then we don't have any money to renovate it. We have to renovate it. But God, God knew what he was doing. We think we got God figured out. But we don't. There are people that I was sure God was going to heal and didn't heal them. And there's people, I mean, just I'll just be honest, there's people that, that barely prayed for healing and barely acted like they wanted healing. And I thought to myself, well, ain't no way God's going to heal them. And he healed them. Jesse thought, I'll figure, I'll get God what he needs here. I'll take care of this. So many Christians think they know what God needs. I've come to tell you, you have no idea. I have no idea what God needs. He knows what he needs. All we got to do is walk and let him lead us and let him guide us. 
And in the life of David, there are three things that I want to share with you about David. God chose David for a reason. And there are lots of reasons why, but there's three reasons that I'm going to, three things about David that I'm going to show you that God liked out of David that he didn't find in the seven brothers. The first one, he was a man after the heart of God. In 1 Samuel 13, the Philistines had gathered against Israel and, uh, and uh, they were going uh, to come to battle against Israel and Samuel didn't show up uh, to offer a sacrifice when Saul thought he should. And uh, uh, so Saul took it on himself to enter the office of the prophet and the priest and he offered the sacrifice for the people themselves. Saul was king. He did not have the right to offer a sacrifice for the people. That was the job of the prophet and the priest. God became angry uh, with uh, Saul for doing that. And, and uh, when Samuel showed up, Samuel brought a severe rebuke from God. And notice what uh, Samuel said in 1 Samuel 13, 13. Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought a man after his own heart. Back in our text, when Eliab showed up to stand there in verse uh, 7 of, of our text, in 1 Samuel 16, uh, the Lord told Samuel, when everybody thought, Eliab, he's the one. The Lord said, look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, for I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh at the heart. The Lord looketh at the heart. And David was, and David was the man that was, a, that was after God's own heart. David was the one that grew up seeking after the mind of God. Seeking after the will of God. Seeking after the ways of God. I've come to tell us today that if we're going to get the job done and if we're going to accomplish what we need to accomplish, it's going to be not my will and it's not, not my ability, not my talent. We have a church full of talented people. We have a church full of great abilities. And, uh, and you look around and you see, and see all, the, all the work that has been done. And, and you know, 90, 95% of it, uh, as far as the physical sweat of it, or maybe 90% of it, was done by our people or whatever. But that's not what's going to accomplish the work in the Spirit. We thank God and I praise God for what he's done for us. But we understand it's not our ability. It's not our talent. It's not our plan. It's not in us to know. But we've got to say, Lord, you've got to work through me. Just like he told Zechariah in Zechariah 4, 6, or as Zechariah prophesied, I should say, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We must have the, the Spirit of God moving in our midst. We must have the Spirit of God speaking. We must have the Spirit of God leading. We've got to find the heart of God. Notice, it was said about David before he was king, before anyone in Israel perhaps knew his name, when he was just a shepherd, just a young shepherd. It was said about him. He was a man after God's heart. 
so many times we want God to promote us before we promote him. I said so many times we want God to promote us in a matter before we promote him. It's not the way God works. The second thing I want you to know about, uh, about David was that it says he was a mighty man of valor. Just after David had been anointed king there in 1 Samuel 16 with Samuel and Jesse present. Now, he didn't become king, but he was anointed king. It would be years before he would actually become the king. But he was anointed king. And just after he was anointed king, verse 14 says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass with the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Verse 18, Then saith one of the servants, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing. Now catch this. A mighty man of valor, or a mighty valiant man, King James says, and a man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. That word valiant, it means a force, an army. It means virtue, valor, strength. David was a force. He was a one-man army. And this was before he ever met Goliath on the battlefield. This was before he ever became king of Israel. This was before he ever commanded uh, armies and troops and, and men. Uh, he, he was probably about 17 to 19 years old. And they're saying, he's a man of war. He's a, he's a valiant man. He's a man of, he's a, he's a man of valor. He's, he's, a, he's, a mighty, he's a mighty man. How did he get to be mighty? Well, as he told Saul when, when he stood before Saul, getting ready to go fight Goliath, just the next chapter, the 17th chapter, he, uh, he said in, uh, uh, in verse uh, 34, he said, I, I, uh, I kept my father's sheep. There came a lion, there came a bear and took a lamb. I went after him in verse 35. I delivered the lamb. I caught him by his beard. I smote the, I smote the lion. I slew the bear. Learn how to do warfare. And then he went, on, he, went, he went on to say in verse 37, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this great Philistine. And he was standing there before Saul because Goliath had come on the scene and was challenging the armies of Israel, saying, Send me a man that we can fight together. And David said, I'll go fight him. Just a young man, just 17, 18, 19 years old. He said, I'll go fight Goliath. Saul said, you can't do it. He said, oh, no, I know how to fight in the name of the Lord. I know how to do battle. I've killed lions. I've killed bears. God has delivered me. You see, he was a mighty man of valor, not because he had gone out and, 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 and gone through a Navy SEAL training, not because he'd gone out and, and worked out and, and had toned his muscles and, and was already... And, I guess that's okay, and you can do that if you want to. But he was a mighty man of valor because he was a man after God's own heart. 
He was a mighty man of valor because he walked with God and he let God lead him and he depended upon God to give him strength. I've come to challenge you today. It's time to rise up. It's time to rise up and to be mighty, mighty people of valor in the spirit. It's time to rise up with the resources that God has given us. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, that's what the Bible says. That's a promise. That's a, that's, that's a tool uh, that God has given you for your spiritual warfare. Resist the devil. Quit giving in. Quit compromising. Resist. Fight. Be brave. Prepare yourself for battle. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I'm telling you, just do it. Be strong. Stand. Put your head high. Look at your enemy and say, hey, I've been bought by the blood. I am a child of the king. I belong to the most high. I resist you. Try it sometime. And see what happens. Yeah, try it. Be strong. You say, well, I, 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 I don't feel strong. That's great. You don't feel strong because you're not supposed to do it in your strength anyway. It's his strength. You think David conquered Goliath because David was a mighty man? No. He was a mighty man. But he wasn't a mighty man because of physical strength. He was a mighty man because God was upon him. And God can be upon you and he can be upon your life. And he can be upon everything you do. And you can be mighty in the spirit. And you say, well, I don't feel mighty in the spirit. But I say that's great and that's good. And that's the way you should feel. Because you want to, you want to know something? I don't feel mighty in the spirit. But I have a mighty God. And I, I hold, I, I reach up when, when I when I when I when I struggle, I reach up and I get a hold of the hand of the mighty God. Yeah, you're gonna lose some battles. It's gonna happen. You're gonna lose some battles in the spirit. And when you resort to fighting to the flesh, you're gonna lose some there too. But in the spirit, you're going to lose some battles. Just because you lose a battle or two doesn't mean you've lost the war. You're not going to lose the war. The third thing I want you to know about David, and I'm hurrying here. He knew how to worship. He knew how to worship. I don't have, I don't, I'm not going to take the time to show you in the scripture, how how he knew how to worship, the ways he knew how to worship. And just let me just let me hit three three things here. Many of the psalms of David that were written, the book of Psalms, or many of those psalms uh, were written by David, and many of those were written 
before he ever reached the palace. In his young days, with the sheep in the in, in the in the in the field, in his young days, as 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 uh, he was fleeing from Saul, he learned how to worship. He learned how to praise God. He, had, he learned how to extol God. David didn't have to have an audience to worship. He could worship God all by himself. That's the second thing. The third thing I want you to know about David's worship, though, is that he didn't have to have privacy. He was also willing to dance before the Lord in front of all Israel and worship God in front of all the people. Took aside, took aside his, his kingly robes and laid them aside. Even his own daughter thought he, he made a fool out of himself, but he danced like the commoner. He danced like he, he, he looked like just an average person. He didn't look like the king of Israel, but he worshiped God with all of his might. You see, when it was time to worship, David knew the value and the power of worship. There's a line, we, there's a line in the song we used to sing years ago. The weapons we use are not bombs and guns. Worship is the way that the battle is won. This is the way that we fight. Praise him for the victory. Now, I never really liked that song, but I like that line of the song. Praise him for the victory. Tired of fighting the same battle over and over? Worship your way to victory. You ever come before God? Want to, want to just get into the presence of God? found that when you talked to him, it seemed like your prayers went to the ceiling and then bounced right back down at you. Yeah. You, you needed to, you really needed to touch from God. You knew in your spirit that you needed to get into the throne room, but it seemed like there was no energy. There was, the prayer was nothing. I had that, I've had, had that happen to me a few times. Sometimes I've been all alone by myself. And just thanking God, have you forsaken me? And then the thought would hit me. And I'd just start dancing. I felt stupid and foolish. Nobody around, thank God, nobody's around. <laughs> they probably look and say, what is that What is that crazy guy doing? But I kept dancing. Oh, I'll tell you what, there's something about worship. There's something about worship. It moves you right into the throne room. And it's never failed me, man. It's never failed me, lady. Anytime I get to worshiping and I pour myself in, not focusing on me and not focusing on my problems, but just focusing on worship. Just focusing on him. He shows up. He shows up. Stand with me now. Tired of fighting the same battle over and over. Worship your way to victory. Learn how to worship your way. Learn the power of worship. 
We've got a job to do. We will not sit down. Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I, we've already, I think we've already read this. We read part of it. We read 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But I want you to know this verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. To stand. We will not sit down. We will not sit down. We're standing. The attack of the enemy comes. It's brutal. He's evil. He attacks this church daily. He attacks the people of this church daily. But you want to know something? After he's done attacking, we're still standing. We're still holding our head high. We're still standing strong because we serve an awesome God. And we are servants of the Most High God. We will not sit down. We will stand. Let me remind you, John, 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Let's just stop right there. Ye are of God. You know what? It's okay for you to say that. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am of God. And if you didn't do that, now do it. <laughs> Turn to your other neighbor, somebody else. Turn around. Walk across the aisle and tell somebody, I am of God. Woo! You say, well, I don't know that I can say it. The Bible says you are. Why can't you say it? If the Bible says it, my, that's all I need. He said, I am of God. I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't know, but I got those, I got those doodads running down my spine right now. I am of God. Wow. You say, does that sound arrogant? No, it's not arrogant. I'll walk out the door. If I, if I get arrogant, I'll walk out the door and skin my nose right on the pavement. I know how that works. God knows how to face plant you faster and you know how to, to, how to say, I'm sorry. Don't think, you're, don't think you're arrogant because of that. You're confident and you're in faith and you're in anointing when you say, I am of God. Every day you get up, I'm telling you what, every day you get up, when you go to the mirror to comb your hair or to shave, if you're, if you're a man or wash your face or pluck your eyebrows or if you're a woman, hope you men don't do that, but um, oh, that's all right. Sometimes eyebrows grow together. They need to be cleaned up a little bit, I suppose. Boy, this is, this is too much information, isn't it? <laughs> Whatever you do in the mirror of the morning, I hope you'll start looking in that mirror and looking at that image there and say, I am of God. I am 
of God. Woo! I am of God. And, and the, the last line of that verse, they, they've already taken it down. We've got to get that verse back up. They thought I was dumb with that verse. You have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We will not sit down. We will stand and fight for the things of the kingdom. Because we're of God. And greater is he. I've said this several times over the last month. I'm going to say it again. And I'm going to say it until I, everybody in our church believes it. Satan cannot take you down. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If he could take you down, you'd already be gone. But you're of God. And you're here today. Come, come. Just everybody, just, let's all just gather around the front right now. 